Hello, everybody. This is Tina Perry with Tina's Corners Podcast. Today, we have a special guest today by the name of Leah Subak. Leah is a um, second language learner interpreter, very successful in the field. And so I thought we would bring Leah on today to kind of get her take of um, when she graduated, what she did to help improve her skills, and to get her to be the successful interpreter that she is today. Hello, Leah. Welcome. Hi, Tina. Thank you so much for having me today. Oh, I'm so glad you could take the time out to do this. Um, I'm sure our students, and I say our students, because both Leah and I are, uh, well, in the past we have been instructors at an IEP or ITP program. I'm not sure, Leah, what your program was referred to. Were you an IEP or ITP? Well, when it started, it was an ITP, and then it became an IEP. Yeah, that's what we did, too. We did, too. Both of us were in Ohio. Of course, now I'm in Tennessee, and Leah is still in Ohio. So let's go ahead and get started, Leah. I have a couple questions for you, but first of all, can you tell me when and where did you graduate? Okay, it's a little bit of a funny journey, but I graduated with a bachelor's degree in speech pathology and audiology, and that's how I got introduced to sign language in the first place. That's and interesting. that was in, yes, and that was in 1978 when dinosaurs walked the earth. <laughs> and then I went to Gallaudet. So I had my sights set on Gallaudet. I saw Gallaudet on television on 60 Minutes. And I told my mother I was going to go there and I packed up and she said, oh, you'll be back in a week. And eight years later, I came home to Ohio. That's a long week. Yeah, it was a long week. But (laughs) I graduated with a degree in deaf education in 1982. But I took interpreting classes while I was on campus at Gallaudet and I didn't finish the program and that was one of my regrets and I'll say that I think it was one of your last questions but I wish I would have stayed in the interpreting program it had just started Hmm. when I was there and so it was a little bit uh, hard to figure out plus I had already set my sights on getting a master's degree in deaf education. So I did graduate in 1982, but I didn't graduate from an interpreting program, but I did take classes while I was at Gallaudet um, in interpreting. I see. So you you were in the deaf ed program there, correct? I I was, yeah. Okay, Okay. excellent. And and what did you think about that program? Did you you really struggle? Because did you have any contact, previous contact with any deaf individuals? I did. When I was at Akron U, mm-hmm. I started to learn sign language, like my first semester in. And so that was probably the thing that saved me. So I was probably 18, started learning sign. You know, I had taken ASL class for the speech pathology degree. And I had a CODA, and I'm sure you know her, Karen Turner. And she For was those my who teacher. do not know what a CODA is, can you tell us what that is, Leah? Oh, uh, a child of deaf adults. Okay. So Karen was is, is from a very large deaf family in the area here. And she was my first teacher, and she really encouraged me. So the whole time that I stayed in that program, 
I was exposed to deaf adults because they put me in a special pilot program that they had for deaf parents who had hearing children. Okay. And so we worked with the hearing children on speech production and and also some sign language. Wow. So it was sort of a yeah, innovative program for the time. Kind of like the school of hard knocks. Right, yeah, <laughs> it was. But it didn't seem like it at the time. Yeah. But it, you know, looking back it was, but I really just loved it. I took to it. So that th- helped a lot. I think that's one of the things you could probably suggest is that um students who have graduated or are in the current program, that's the one thing that immersion should be a vital part of their training. Would you agree? Absolutely. And that's one of the things I see that is not happening today. Exactly. Well, it's kind of hard too, you know, with COVID going on, that's really put a hurting on a lot of the programs and a lot of the education for our students, uh, not being able to go to facilities like an, uh, nursing home or someplace like that where there are many deaf people um yeah i bet now students are looking back on that thinking man i should have accessed that a lot more when there was no covid but yeah correct but you do have to really go out of your comfort zone sometimes and yeah it's hard it's hard it's hard today you're right with covid but it's hard anyway i think yeah, I think so. I, me being a CODA, for me to do that is like, what's the big deal? But I could see students really struggling with that. First of all, they just didn't want to invade on somebody's you know, space and their privacy. Um, and we know how deaf people sometimes are like, you know, oh my gosh, another student wanting to come to ask me what my name is, my favorite color and my favorite hobby, you know, uh, that can get a little old after a while, I bet. Oh, it does. And I should tell you this funny story. So I was on a date. I was engaged to somebody before Ken. Don't tell him that. No, he knows that. (laughs) And Tina knows my husband. Anyway, so I was on a date, and it happened to be across the street from the deaf club in Akron. Oh, boy. And I was very bored on my date. And I probably knew in my heart of hearts that this this, uh, engagement was going nowhere, you know. Anyway, so I said, to my fiance said, I'll be back in a little bit. But he, he was all up with his friends and they were having a good time and that kind of thing. And I thought, well, you know what? I'll just, I'm going to go to the deaf club across the street. And I was told in class, do not go to the deaf club by yourself. Hmm. But I went ahead and went and knocked on the door and they opened a little window and asked me who I was. And unbelievably, they let me in. Wow. And I played cards with a whole bunch of younger deaf people who I see to this day. We go to the deaf church together, and it's so funny to me. And I just remember them sitting at the table or playing cards. And I didn't probably have a clue what they were talking about. And I didn't care, but I just wanted to be there instead of that's being awesome. on the date with my with my dud with my dud of a fiance. Anyway. That's like jumping into the deep end of the pool without knowing how to swim or could just barely keep your head above water. That's really awesome. Yeah. And that takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of courage. And I think once you do that, did you see that that became easier? Or what, what did you learn from that, that experience? I learned that they accepted me. And if I tried the best that I could, that it was okay. And I think it helped that I was their age. Mm-hmm. And 
I learned that, you know, that taking a risk is okay sometimes. Absolutely. And very, very important to this field. You are, Mm -hmm. you have to be a risk taker. You cannot stand on the sidelines. I know many times I would tell students on their first day, coming to this program, we are going to give you the basics, but we will not give you everything you need to be an interpreter. That's on you. Well, I'll give you a suitcase. I'll fill it with some things here, but you have to really fill the suitcase yourself. And you have to be Mm -hmm. one to get out there and just act like you're not afraid. We describe it as being a swan in the water. If you see a swan gliding across the water, you see that it's smooth. But what you don't know is that under the water, their feet are moving fast and furiously so that they look like there's no effort. And that's what we have to do as interpreters. We are working fast and furiously under the scenes, you know, but we try to Mm -hmm. make it look like it's smooth. Oh, yeah, that's a great analogy. Yeah. So um, after you graduated from your program um, or after you decided you were going to be an interpreter, um, where did you work? What did you do? I actually worked at Gallaudet. I worked for their disability services office. And I worked in the bank, the Gallaudet Bank. Now, do you not know? what good training that was oh i'm sure so social security number at the time you know people could tell say that you yeah. know money amount right uh, money amount a uh, numbers uh finger spelling oh daily gosh. constantly yes. then i jumped from the bank to this is this is a crack up the assistant director of deafblind services oh my gosh so, yeah, so I became the personal interpreter for a deafblind wow. gentleman mm-hmm. on campus, and that's where I really started to interpret. Yeah, I, without knowing what I was doing, I was at national conferences wow. interpreting, and I had no clue what I was doing. All I did was turn my back to the audience and, you know, took the microphone, and uh, I knew what he was saying. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what I was actually doing, but people would come up to me and say, oh, Wow. How'd you learn how to do that? That's really great. And yeah. I'm like, um, I'm just saying what he's saying. So, right. And then I, an interpreter came up to me and said, you need to get more training and you need to wow. get certified. And mm-hmm. so. How did you take that? Uh, very well. Mm-hmm. Very well, because the way she did it, the way she approached it, she was a CODA. Mm-hmm. She wasn't insulting. It was back in that time when none of us really knew what we were doing. And so she had a lot of grace and tact when she told me that. Wow. And you know, that's a, that's a good point is the delivery. How do you mm-hmm. deliver feedback to another person? And that, that's not, that's half of it. The other half is how you take it and what do you do with it? You know? Right. So that's, that's a great, that's a great story. That's great. So you then, okay, so you now were working for a gentleman who, who was deafblind, is that correct? Right. <clears throat> and I did that uh, for about a year and a half. And then I went into the graduate program full time. Mm-hmm. And then that's when I did interpreting on the side. I see. And I've been interpreting on the side ever since. Now, I did teach at Kendall Demonstration School. For a year, a year, and then I got pregnant, and then mm-hmm. I left because 
we were leaving the area as well. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't want to leave my baby with uh, people. You know, we weren't, we didn't know, we didn't have any family in the DC area. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we just went ahead and left. But then I needed back to Ohio. And then Mm -hmm. I needed a more flexible job. Mm -hmm. So then that's when I started interpreting and then teaching, Mm -hmm. which led to part-time teaching and full-time teaching. And then I was at the relay full-time, the old text relay. Oh, wow. Yeah, with Elizabeth Selden for about five years. And then then that all changed. So then I left and started teaching again and yeah wow now i'm at Sorensen. and now you're at Sorensen part-time or full-time part-time yeah so how did you know about these positions how i mean what did you do to get, did you just kind of fall into them because that happens or were you did you actively seek them or did they actively seek you or was it just by chance it was all of the above yeah when I read that question that on your list, I thought, it's who you know. Yeah. I mean, I think, and I hate to say that. Well, it's, but, you know, how do you get to know people? That's the question. That's something that I think our students need to hear. They don't come looking for you while you're hiding in your house. You made yourself right. very visible, I'm assuming. Yes. And also was very active in OCRD very active in planning conferences, met so many people by planning different events. Mm -hmm. And then when you meet people like that, people want you to, Mm -hmm. they see your work and they want you to come to work for them. Mm -hmm. They trust you. You You, you gave them a reason to trust you. Right. Are you currently certified? Yes. Okay. And how did you go about training yourself or getting ready for that? I took my first test, the first RID system. Okay. And we know there's and it was been a live, several. Right. And it was a live panel. Mm. So knowing that, and you know this person, Carolyn Ressler. So Carolyn and I, we, you know, put on videotapes. Back, back then it was VHS tapes. Mm. And we would just get together and we would study uh, how we would voice for them. And mostly we were very concerned about ASL to English. Okay. We probably should have been a little bit more concerned about English to ASL. Mm. But um, so anyway, that's basically how we, we did it. And then we no, neither one of us got fully certified. I, I, I always laugh because now Carolyn is the designated interpreter for the president of Gallaudet University. Wow. But... But at the time, she got TC because mm-hmm. it used to be ICTC or CSC. So she got TC and I got ICTC. So you could get ITTC but not be CSC. Right. Yeah. Right. Which right? You weren't quite high enough to get that CSC. Wow. Okay. So yeah, and I think that it was because of our. We probably didn't really prepare enough with the um, English to ASL part. Yeah, and I think that those acronyms or, or whatever initials have changed. It's I-T-C-T-C-T. Yeah. And yeah. then I, I got C-I-C-T, but then they took out the whole 
um, other part, it, it's just evolved all over all the years, uh, a lot, many times. Right. Yeah. Right. Because we took it again mm-hmm. and we both got CITT. We uh, both got what you yeah, have. Right. Yeah. 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 And then she went, she went and took the Nick and she got the master Nick. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't take the Nick. I just didn't yeah. take it. I took EICA and I took NAD. Okay. Oh. Yeah. I took NAD, but I don't, are they still offering um, certifications? Well, uh, no. 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 Okay. Yeah. So I think the bottom line is, as we start to wrap up here, the, bo- the bottom line to what you're saying is just being out there and really just, I know I've had recent uh, students just almost be ready to graduate and they're like, I-, I can't do this. I just can't put myself out there. And I mean, I'm, I'm glad they finally realized that, but it, you know, sometimes it's almost towards the end of when they're about to graduate. And it is really, I, and the other analogy that I use that this is a, a, uh, an acting job. Whenever I'm interpreting, whenever you're interpreting, we are always somebody else, always somebody else. You know, mm-hmm. we speak for the hearing, per, uh, excuse me, our deaf consumers, we, we sign for our hearing consumers. Um, I took a workshop a couple weeks ago, or maybe a couple months ago, but at any rate, the most profound thing I took from that workshop is that this is a hard job. Mm-hmm. But, as, but as qualified interpreters, we make it look like it's not. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think a lot of professions do that. It's- a brain surgeon, say, for example, or a police officer or anyone. I mean, it is a hard job. You grow into it. Mm-hmm. You grow with it. And I think by virtue of that fact, you're going to make it look easy. I, I remember one time I had some students and we were doing mock interpreting with real people. You know, they brought people in the class. And so they were struggling, struggling, struggling. And they said, now, wait a minute. They said, you sit down and do this if you think you're so, you know, all that. So I sat down and it was just like, but, you know, back and forth. And they're like, how can you do that? I said, because this is what we do. Right. And I do think we make it, it's very difficult and we make it look easy, but isn't that the definition probably of a professional? Sure. It right. would be like an actor or a singer or, you know. Exactly. Because you know. I watch. I just think we don't, we don't get the respect that other, but anyway, I think, sorry, but I think the other thing is, is, you know, I've watched piano or piano players. I would say, is it a pianist? And I watch them and I think to myself, how can your hands move so quickly over those keys and hit the right one at the right time? And Mm. and I think about, they probably think the same thing about us. How Mm -hmm. can you keep signing? And of course they don't know if I'm signing the right thing or not, but more times they're not we are. It's like, how do we keep doing that and know just when to hit the right key and the right, you know, you know, I, I just use that analogy a lot in my brain. I think that you know, when I watch them, I was like, oh, it looks so beautiful. Right. right. Because the right key for us is picking out the meaning. Right. Getting the right tone. Exactly. And taking away some of the other information that's probably not as necessary. Exactly. So, yeah. Things that they learn in the program and, you know, what are the details and what details do I need right now? What details don't I need right now? And um, how to make that all work so that the message is the same message that I'm hearing. And I, and I tell them, right. make the message so that what you're hearing, they see. 
to make it very clear. Right. And to have the ethical mm-hmm. acumen to, to keep it, you know, trustworthy and ethical. Absolutely. And, and you're faithful to the message, you know? Absolutely. Leah, I thank I you for coming. Thank you for, I really appreciate you doing this with me today. As you know, you are the very first podcast interview that I'm having, and I think it's gone great. Is there anything you would like to say before we close? No, I think that's it. Oh, thank you. I feel so honored to be your first. And I just hope that whoever is listening to this, I hope that you just keep at it and don't give up. It's a great field. It's a great profession. And I've loved it. Honestly, I, I wouldn't want to do anything else. I agree. Thanks, Leah. We appreciate I appreciate it. Thank you. Bye now. Bye.